0: In my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of snow brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And first of all, thank you so much for everybody who has provided some feedback on the two Mastering 40 episodes so far. I really appreciate that. As you may know, I'm also really getting into it on Instagram, uh, posting a lot of stuff over there, both on my feed and in Instagram stories, as well as the new blog. So you can go to theramblingrunner.com or just mastering40, that's 40.com, can take you to the same place. It's the Basically twice weekly blog that I'm putting out um, just kind of longer form stuff that I don't put out on Instagram uh, to keep people up to date with how things are going. Um, not just the conversations I'm having with the pros that I'm working with, Starla Garcia, James uh, McCurdy, as well as Adrian Langlier, but also just what's going on with me uh, as I'm going through this process. And there are plenty of hurdles <laughs> even this early in the process. So go check that out if you haven't done so already. Today's episode is with someone who I look up to so much in the fitness world. Not only as an athlete, but also as someone who's just putting out so much goodness into the world. Not just with her uh, her character and the things that she's doing, but also as a prodigious media member. Emily Abadi is, I mean, she's just amazing. She puts out so much stuff. Her uh, podcast, Hurdle, is fantastic. Uh, also, she's a freelance writer for Basically, any top fitness and health magazine that you can think of. In addition to that, she's doing workshops now that people are finding extremely helpful. And I couldn't wait to talk to her about all of those things and more. So let's get into it with Emily Abadi. Hello, Emily, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Well, first of all, congrats on all of your success. Your podcast is one of my favorites. Uh, It has been for a while and the accolades that you've received over the last calendar year has just been awesome. So your podcast hurdle has really just exploded in so many genres. When you started your show, what was your initial goal or inclination behind it? Honestly, first and foremost, thank
1: you. Really appreciate that. I When I started it, it was really just meant to be another outlet for me to express myself creatively. I never expected when I started Hurdle, and if there are individuals listening to this show that are unfamiliar with it, basically on the show, I chat with everyone from top-level elite athletes to aspiring entrepreneurs about their highest highs and toughest moments. And when I started the show, it was bi-weekly every other Monday. Now it launches three times a week, which feels surreal every time I say that out loud. And it has become a really, really big part of how I'm showing up day to day. Uh, When I'm not working on the show, I'm a freelance journalist and I am writing fitness and health content everywhere from GQ to men's health, well and good, women's health, runner's world, you name it. And so at the time when I started it, you know, it was just meant to be a side thing, something fun for me to do when I wasn't penning content for all of these outlets. And now I would say that my time is equally split, if not more so dedicated to Hurdle and the other projects that I have that go hand in hand with the pod.
0: Now, going back chronologically to the beginning of your freelance writing career, you know, first of all, it's it's so amazing what you've been able to do in the the publications that you've written for. When you first started as a writer, I know you've had a journey, you know, you weren't always necessarily freelance, but you've had a, quite a journey here. But when you started as a writer, did you have a specific goal in mind from a professional standpoint?
1: I think every aspiring writer has what I love to call a bylines bucket list. I never intended when I started my career as a journalist that I would be checking off different outlets on the bylines bucket list as a freelancer. (laughs) I always thought that I would work my way up the totem pole and work for different outlets in-house, and that would really be my journey. A little about me, I started as a career journalist over a decade ago working for a company called Cafe Mom. I was there for a few years, went on to Rodale, which used to be the publishing house that owned a lot of active titles that I'm sure your listeners love to read, including Runner's World, Bicycling, Women's Health, Men's Health, Prevention, and so on. I went from Rodale to Self Magazine. And when Self Magazine folded at the end of 2016, where I was their fitness editor, I was thrust into this world Of freelance writing. And so to go about this way of being a journalist, it has been one of the scariest yet most rewarding challenges of my career and something that I'm really, really grateful for. I'm not all that sure had self not folded, if I would have made the leap to doing this full time on my own, continuously checking off different outlets on the bylines bucket list. So super grateful for the journey and super grateful for what the journey has taught me as well.
0: Yeah, that is such an interesting moment, right? You talk about hurdles and things that, you know, can be paradigm shifting moments, either positive or negative, or ultimately, you know, how you view them later on in life. You talked about self-closing, and how that had an impact on you short-term and then long-term. I had a similar thing happen in my life where you know it didn't close, I was laid off. And it was one of those things where in the moment, even now, occasionally, I like harken back to those times with a lot of negative thoughts. But at the same time, my professional journey would look completely different if I had stayed there. And I wouldn't be doing any of the things full-time that I'm doing now. So I certainly have an appreciation for it after the fact. In the moment when you had that shift in your life, what was it like to fully embrace that freelance lifestyle? Or did you always kind of, you know, stick your, your toe in the water of potentially going full-time in-house again at other, at other publications?
1: It was frightening. And I think that is something that a lot of our biggest hurdle moments have in common. When we come to these moments in life when we don't expect what's about to happen and we are blindsided by what we feel as though we could have never prepared for. It's a lot. And so when self-folded, I was completely beside myself. I mean, it's what I like to refer to. I I refer to the different types of hurdle moments. There's abject, glorious, common, and predicted. And an abject hurdle moment is when you lose something that feels so essential to who you are. And at that time, that job, that role was such a big part of my identity. And I think that's something that a lot of people kind of can relate to, right? This idea of what is it that leads up your Instagram bio? Well, the fact is, is that we are all bigger than the however many characters you can fit into the top of your Instagram bio. And so that departure from self. It required me very much to do a lot of soul searching and ask myself, what is it that I'm interested in? What do I want to spend my time on? And so when I left that publication full-time, of course, I surely had my fair share of running at all other full-time jobs. I definitely you know, apply to a few in the journalism world when you're interested in a job and they're interested in you. They give you what's called an edit test, which can be extremely lengthy. And so I took a few different edit tests, but none of the jobs just seemed to feel as right for me as that self-job did. And so I decided to start trying to design my dream job. And I say this with an understanding that A, it wasn't a simple or easy experience, and B, my dream job definitely requires a certain type of personality and a certain type of grit, I would say, in that I wake up every day and I've got to figure out where's the money coming from? And that's kind of crazy because when you say things like I designed my dream job and I'm just going after my passions, you know, it sounds all fluffy and wonderful and angelic. But at the end of the day, I wake up every day and I'm lucky enough to get to write about the topics that interest me to talk to the people that interest me because I have figured out the right way to monetize this opportunity. So, i uh I talk to a lot of people. I do a little bit of career counseling, a little bit of life coaching as well and and in this process, I think the biggest question is like, well, how can I design my dream job or how can I design you know a life that i that I want that I can wake up and quote unquote live my passion as so many buzzy people on instagram say and the truth behind that is that there's a lot of work that has to be done to get to that point. It's not like I just woke up one day and I was writing for all these publications and had this podcast that launched three times a week. Like a lot of work goes on behind the scenes, things that you might not see uh, via an avenue like social media. And so when people ask me, like, how do I do this? I say, well, you have to be willing to put on the work. You have to be willing to put aside your pride and your ego at times. You have to be willing to ask Questions. And most importantly, I would argue, you have to be willing to be told no and you have to be willing to fail.
0: You mentioned grit before. Did you have this sort of grittiness in you at an early age or is this something that you've cultivated recently?
1: You know, I was on uh, a podcast recently where we talked about this. If you're born with uh, this talent or this pursuit or this desire for this pursuit, or if you're made. And My gut reaction was to say that I've been made through my experience, but I actually think that I did grow up instilled with a certain amount of grit. I mean, my father is an entrepreneur. He owns his own advertising and marketing business over in Connecticut. I've watched him kind of pave a way for himself and and be a people person and go after what he wants. And so I think that from a young age, it was instilled in me that if you want something, then it's up to you to go get it. And Even on that note, I mean, for me, growing up, um, I I never really had anything handed to me. I'm very fortunate that I came from a a loving, supportive family, a a standard middle class family in Connecticut. But when I decided where I wanted to go to college, you know, the conversation was, "Well, you're going to pay for this." And when I wanted to go out for who knows a a musical in high school or a top position in my youth group in high school as well. Like These were all things that I had to work for uh, in order to to really reach my potential. So I would say that I was certainly raised to value and work hard, value grit and work hard. But as I've gotten older, I have definitely invested a lot of time in learning who I am and learning my strengths and quote unquote, as, as we all say, put in the work. And it is a journey that I'm grateful for understanding that it's not really, there's not just one destination that, that defines success, right? It's the journey and that journey is rich. And that journey is something that you need to seriously reflect on and value with every step
0: in your journey over the last couple of years seems to be really focused on not only producing work for other outlets but creating your own outlet on play you know in terms of releasing your own work now this is not just a podcast you're doing a couple other things here as well when for you did that become a shift in terms of not just your mindset and what you wanted to create for yourself but also figuring out all right this is a um, potentially you know a uh, a valid and Potentially lucrative revenue stream that you wanted to embrace you know at you know concurrently with your freelance work,
1: I think when I realized that there was a community, and for me, you know it has always been exciting to have the opportunity to speak with and sit down with individuals that inspire me and motivate me, but The reason why I show up week after week and I work on this content and the newsletter and my new avenue, which are these workshops that I call hurdle sessions, the reason why I'm putting in all of this work is because I understand that now there are people and there's an audience that wants to connect, that craves these resources. And so uh, the community just, they blow me away. Uh, A little bit on my backstory is when I was in college, I was dramatically overweight. And while I truly do believe that individuals can find happiness at an array of every size, for me, stepping on a scale and seeing a number over 200 pounds standing at the time at five foot four, it wasn't a good place for me. I felt lonely. I felt arguably a little bit depressed. I wasn't proud of my body. In fact, I was ashamed of my body and it affected the way that I showed up in every aspect of my life. And so at that time, being over 200 pounds, a freshman in college, I felt really, really alone. And so my mission with creating Hurdle and continuing to grow this brand and this offering is that I want individuals to never feel alone. I want them to know that whatever it is that their hurdle moment might include, and we have many of them in our day-to-day, but whatever hurdle moment you are facing on any given day, you have the opportunity, A, to do something about it, and B, to understand that you are not alone in facing challenge that we all have challenges. And so again, the mission to help people understand that they are not alone, but also my goal is really to encourage others to live their best life and then move with intention and have some fun. So uh, for me, when the community started reaching out, when I started to get DMs from people all over the world, from Australia to Hong Kong to the coast of LA, I mean, it blows my mind and it really, really fills up my cup to know that this thing that I am working on, this thing that I am dedicating myself to, this thing that feels so much of my purpose and my mission, it is helping someone somewhere in so many different ways. And and it's really, it's truly a beautiful thing for me.
0: That's amazing that you had that self-awareness in your early, as a freshman in college to know, all right, this is not working for me. I need to make a change. And this is why. Did you, at that time, fully grasp That, you know, how your weight was affecting you as you put it, how you were showing up in every area of your life, or is that something that you kind of come came to understand later on?
1: At the time, I definitely knew that I felt self-conscious. I didn't feel like I was allowing myself to truly live my life to the fullest because I was ashamed of my body. I mean, the body positivity movement has come such a long way since this time in 2007. I would go to the mall at that time and when I would walk around, I never saw women that looked like me in any of the advertisements. I never picked up a magazine and saw a girl that was a size 16 that looked happy. The conversation was always how you should be losing weight. So regardless of whether or not I personally felt good at that size, the message that society was sending me at the time was at this size, you are not good enough. And so I didn't necessarily have what I would say was the self-awareness to understand that losing the weight would be a complete 180 in terms of how I felt with my health. I think I knew that I needed to make a change. And the only thing that I could identify that would help me feel better was taking off at the time some of that extra weight. And I think what what served me at the time really was going in to this journey, not with one number in mind, right? I didn't start my weight loss journey and think to myself, I'm going to lose 70 pounds. Instead, I said, I'm going to start to be healthier. And so what did that look like? It looked like me not eating tater tots with every meal at the dining hall or banana chocolate chip ice cream. It looked like me getting to the gym a few days a week and incorporating more movement. It looked... For me walking up a big hill that I used to avoid to go to my Tuesday lecture instead of taking the bus. So at first, when I started that journey, I felt like I was certainly a little wiser beyond my years than I even realized to instill these smart, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, time-bound goals into my day-to-day that would help me foster a better relationship with my body, eventually better mental health. And ultimately, a life that I really wanted to live.
0: Yeah, and shoot, I mean, first of all, this is just—it's amazing how you were able to do that at an age where, even shoot, I'm about to turn forty years old, and th- those are things that I'm still struggling with. So, the fact that you were able to to get that done at half an age of that is is truly remarkable. So, kudos to you. And and in your work, both previously at these magazines that you mentioned, and you know, with your freelance work now, and your work with Hurdle. Do you ever reflect on how you felt at that age when you looked at publications and didn't see yourself represented in terms of the kind of content that you're producing now and the kind that you want to produce? I think...
1: Not seeing women that made me think of me or that I could relate to when I was a young age made me made me want to come into this field and really create smart fact-based content. And that's the reason why when I was working at Rodale, I actually studied to become a certified personal trainer. It was never with the goal to actually really train anyone, although I've definitely dabbled in that over the years. But rather, the goal was truly to be able to work with experts and create smart content and be able to call people on their BS. Like, if someone is going to give me a rep... A rep scheme for my reader, and I'm working on an article featuring a workout for one of my outlets, I want to make sure that what we're putting into the world is smart and safe. And while there are so many, so many, so many talented and, and really skilled trainers and experts in the world, especially in the days of... You know the social media influencer and, and us reaching out to individuals who may have a certain type of following. It's really my responsibility as a writer and an editor to create this content in a safe way so that the, that the consumer who's on the other side of that screen or reading this magazine knows that they can rely on what it is that we're putting into the world. And so that was a really important priority for me when it came to uh, proceeding in my career and making sure that what we were putting out there was reliable, it was smart, and that I felt like I was doing my part to cultivate a positive and intelligent conversation.
0: It's amazing how you embraced it in that way. Have you ever had to push back against sources that you're speaking with if you feel like they're giving you stuff that's just kind of beyond the pale?
1: I mean, I don't know if it's as much pushback as it becomes a collaborative experience. The reality is that as a fitness journalist, like my job is to kind of translate sometimes. So while I could be working with someone that is a certified strength and conditioning coach, a really, really intelligent human, they – have a strength that is programming workouts and they might not have a strength that is like converting that into a way that's understandable for my reader. So that's when we kind of have to merge together and figure out, okay, so you're telling me it's this many sets, this many reps. I'm like, okay, how do we paint this picture for them so that they can better understand it? It's really a collaborative process. So I wouldn't necessarily say like I've ever had to do a lot of pushback, but I've certainly, you know, worked on formatting workouts and understanding like what it might look in the scheme of a training cycle and, and really fleshing it out so that we're creating a smart and good product to put out into the world.
0: And you talk to so many interesting people like the the, the topics you 've covered are just they 're so widespread, and it 's really you know the full panoply of options for people who are interested not just and obviously this is a running podcast we haven 't talked about running yet, <laughs> but um, you know people who are just active individuals there' are so many options, so I would go out there um, if you haven't already done so listeners, and check out all the things that she 's written because it truly is remarkable, and you mentioned before the community piece that really brought you to, you know, fully embrace hurdle and what you're doing, um, within your own space. When you were freelancing, you know, is that period of time after self where you were freelance only, did you have a community around your writing? Because you were writing in extremely popular magazines and you've been prolific in terms of your output. Um, so were people gravitating to you during that period? You're so sweet to me.
1: Um, You know, it's funny. I really thought that once I got to self, like that was my opportunity, right? I was like major women's magazine, huge, huge global audience, arguably the biggest women's fitness magazine, fitness publication at the time. I thought that being the fitness editor there was like my ticket to... Being recognized and getting to that point in my career where I felt like I was really able to have an impact, and that's not to say reflecting on that time now, I wouldn't say that now. Um I would say that what we put out there was really great stuff, and I'm forever indebted to that team for teaching me so much about myself, for exposing me in some really great ways to so many individuals and and understanding uh, what it means to like have that kind of access and accountability with such a great team. Um, but when I now look at the impact that I'm having, it feels so much greater than what I did there. And that's because uh, again, this is my own. I take full ownership over what's happening with hurdle. And I, and I really do feel like uh, the the community and just like what I'm building here is just on a different level than what I was able to execute while I was
0: itself. And When you really transitioned to hurdle and embracing all of that, did you have any uh, mentors or people that, you know, really helped you? Not even mentors in terms of like the personal interaction, but resources or people that you would utilize to help improve your business sense or give you creative ideas or different outlets or anything along those lines?
1: I mean, I truly think that we can pull inspiration from anywhere, right? I definitely had a few conversations with veteran podcasters and then also my personal mentor at the time. Um, I'm very lucky that uh, a family friend of mine uh, used to be the chief digital officer at Condé Nast, and he's just like a really smart, business savvy guy. And so to be able to bounce Uh, questions and, and go to him for feedback really felt like I was literally the luckiest girl in the world. But to be honest with you, with the beginning of hurdle, like so much of it was both the internet and trying to Google every question I've ever wanted to Google in my life. And then also just trial and error. And I think that definitely like went into it with like a lean startup mentality in that I would try things. And if they worked, great. And if they didn't, it wasn't like hurdle was distributing to millions of people all over the globe. I understood the scope of what I was creating at the time. So now, I mean, I definitely think I, I look at things a little bit differently, but still, even to this day, I certainly have a lean startup mentality with the things that I'm putting into the world. I mean, when I started the hurdle sessions, which, um, about two months ago, The hurdle sessions are basically uh, weekly workshops that surround a bunch of different topics in areas where I feel as though I've done a lot of self-development work or where I may be able to consider myself an expert. So in addition to being a certified personal trainer, I'm also a run coach. Um, So that means that offerings that I've had in the last couple months have been everything from how to start and stay running to how to start a podcast or intro to freelance writing. These are all things that I have really make cornerstones of my career and so i am you know offering courses and and interacting with my community in that way the day that i launched hurdle sessions i decided the day before that i was going to do it and it wasn't something that i fleshed out fully and honestly i still feel like every time i host one i'm learning something new but it was something that i felt really passionate about and i knew that there was an audience for and so just like anything in life, really, sometimes you just got to go for it. And again, the journey is rich and you have to be of the journey. You have to be someone who's willing to learn from every step of the way, both the wins and the failures, because I'm sure every successful entrepreneur will tell you that they didn't learn their biggest lessons when they were totally winning. Instead, they learn those lessons at those hurdle moments, at those challenges. So, you know, every day, every day is a school day.
0: I love that. That that ready, fire, aim mentality when it comes to new projects is, is something that is near and dear to my heart as well. And when you have, you know, you're, you're an extremely creative person. It's obvious that you spend a lot of time thinking about new ways to engage with people. Talk to me about just that creative process in terms of when an idea comes to you that's not fleshed out. It's just kind of an initial spark, an initial seed. When it comes to you and it you know, you can kind of differentiate between the typical idea versus the one that really starts to grab you. How does that feel for you? Not just mentally, emotionally, but physically. Do you have a different feeling when that happens?
1: I think you just know it in your gut. And I mean, there are plenty of times that I'll kind of sidestep or maybe second guess myself and sometimes I'll still throw it into the wind and sometimes I'll reach out to my support network and and ask for feedback. But I think that that's something especially that's been really uh, interesting for me as an entrepreneur, as someone that's literally working alone to create most of this content. I am constantly just asking myself questions, but I've had to open myself up to feedback to asking for help to going out of my comfort zone and understanding that the people that love me and support me they're here for me whether or not i you know am ready to ask for that feedback it really comes back to being able and willing to put your ego aside and and ask for help when you need it and understanding also on that note that all feedback is good feedback and that sometimes you need that second set of eyes that third set of eyes to make a product that's really going to suit your consumer, and certainly that's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately.
0: All right, let's get into the running. I could talk about this business stuff all day with you. you have <laughs> all do day. As, as you, hey, you're a busy woman. You've already laid this out. Like I'm gracious that I'm I'm lucky to have any time with you right now, oh, and stop. I feel lucky to have it. So, t- thinking about running, you mentioned earlier where you were in college. From a physical activity standpoint, in the shift that you made to kind of embrace um, a new lifestyle, so to speak. So, with that in mind, when did running become more than just part of a transformation, as something that you were really endeavoring to improve upon and to make a you know a, a stable and long term part of your life?
1: For sure. So, for me, I mentioned a weight loss journey. I always talk about that journey in two phases. The first phase was instilling a lot of those more simple, healthy habits into my routine when it came to my, my diet and my lifestyle. And then the second part was really my love affair with running. Um, about a year after this uh, decision was made that I was going to make some big changes in my life, I was working as a programming director at a summer camp. And In that role, I didn't have access of the time to really leave and go to my local planet fitness as I had been doing. And so because of that, I knew that I wanted to keep moving. I knew that I didn't want to regress on all of the positive progress I had made. And so in that journey, I decided to start running. Uh, At first, it really sucked, but I made a commitment to myself and that I would go out and I would run the same route every day, every single day in the middle of the day. And so I went out, I ran for 14 minutes, I came home and that was it. I would shower, I would go on with my life. I literally took as much decision-making out of the process as possible. I owned like 12 pairs of the same leggings and the same like Hanes white V-necks that I would wear every single day to do this. And it was just this thing that I would do. And so that summer... I ran every day for just over two months, and that summer changed my life. Uh, It wasn't far. In fact, I thought I had been running a mile, but fun fact, I'd only been running a half a mile every day, and I didn't realize that until the end of the summer. But I wasn't even mad at the fact that I felt like I had cheated myself of my full mile accomplishment. In fact, I was just proud that I learned to love running in the first place. And so after that summer, after I started to enjoy the activity, that half mile became a mile and that mile became a 5k and a year later i signed up for and ran my first half marathon i Never that Emily before that summer when she was trying to learn how to love running, never would have dreamed in her wildest dreams that she would run a half marathon. Um, and so that really was kind of the uh the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, and that that half marathon changed everything. I knew the second I crossed the finish line to that Hartford half that I would be doing it again and again. And a few years later, I endeavored to run my first full marathon also in Hartford, and now fast forward to August 2020 recording this. I am eight marathons deep and I've done them everywhere from from Dublin to Boston.
0: Man, good for you. That Hartford Marathon. I that that was my first marathon. was really? the Hartford Marathon? Yeah. Yeah. I live in Rhode Island and I've been basically except, except of my four years of college and then a quick trip to San Diego for a summer. I've lived in Rhode Island my whole life and that was one that really fit my schedule. Um shoot, what was this? This might have been 13 years ago. Um and man, I was dying on the way back. Yeah. I, I swear to God, on the way home, um, you know, coming south towards Hartford, I felt every single pebble in that rough gravel in South Windsor. It was mm-hmm. like it was shooting through my shoes, as if it was like running on nails, and I, I like had to walk it in. And hey. I deserved it because I didn't train the way I should have. You know, we all we've all done this or yeah, you at know, some points in our lives, but I'll never forget that experience in Hartford. As soon as you mentioned the Hartford half, I was like, it instantly brought me back to basically like walking up the on ramp to get back onto eighty-four to then get into uh Bushnell Park um anyway. <laughs> it was like immediately brought me back to that experience.
1: I love that. I love that. Yeah, it's so funny because I remember Running, Like I ran the Hartford half a few times uh, and I ran my first marathon in Hartford as well. But I don't truly remember much about the particulars of any of those races, which is just bizarre reflecting on it. I remember so much about my first New York City marathon, but very little about my first actual marathon in Hartford. All
0: right. Now, as a running coach, someone who talks to so many people in the athletic community, so often, right? People who have the greatest amount of expertise. What are some of the things that you've changed in your running life for the better that maybe you were doing earlier on in your running life?
1: Right, so these days, um, I'm integrating different types of running into my routine. I think that's something that a lot of individuals that might be newer to the sport they aren't thinking about. They're just thinking, I'm going to get out there. I'm going to run. And I think that for me, that was actually a really effective way to start to enjoy the sport. But I think I might've enjoyed it earlier on if I understood that there were ways to diversify and mix up my routine that made it a more overall enjoyable thing, something that really felt different from day to day instead of just the same old slog. So these days I'm really into interval work. I belong to a track club here in New York, Brooklyn Track Club, and they make it really fun. We actually just had our our first practice of 2020 yesterday and it's been it's been a long time of running solo here. So of course, socially distanced and completely safe. But um, I would definitely say mixing up the type of running you're doing, whether that's adding intervals in, adding hills in, adding threshold or tempo work in. Uh, now the long run on the weekend is a, a really often a community fair, which is something I really look forward to. So definitely diversifying the types of running I'm doing is something that I really appreciate. And then mixing up like what the run looks like in terms of things like roots or whether I'm listening to a podcast or music or nothing at all, just understanding that there are a lot of different variables that you can play with to level up your experience and make it so it's not mundane and something that you can really look forward to day after day.
0: I still love the fact, I can't even get over it, even though you mentioned it 10 minutes ago, that you started running by running at noontime every day in the summer. Like talk about, <laughs> like, talk about like jumping into the deep end of the pool. Like, yeah, is, I know, in
1: retrospect, it's ridiculous. I, I think it was actually like closer to like one thirty, but yeah, like hottest part of the day. I don't know, like I certainly wasn't reading any of the types of articles that I'm reading now. I was just like, this is when I have the time to do it and that's how it's gonna rock.
0: Well, and that's so funny that that was, Ultimately, how end up working for you, because it's kind of like how your entrepreneur journey has worked as well. It's like, this is how it's going to work for me. You know, best practices be damned. I'm going to make this work and figure it (laughs) out. And, you know, it kind of goes back to what you mentioned, you know, with your new hurdle sessions and workshops that you're doing um, every Tuesday night. I think this is such a wonderful thing, not only for the community of people who obviously love you and, and really appreciate everything that you're putting together, but also for yourself, because it feels like you, know, you spend so much time on these topics and now you can you know really like bring it to people instead of coming at these. Coming at these topics tangentially, either on the podcast when you're talking to somebody else or in those quick, you know, five to 10 minute um, podcasts that you do Wednesday and Friday, you know, the five minute Friday and the hurdle moments, but really taking these deep dives. So how has that crystallized some of your experiences now that you're teaching them in these long form models?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think for me, there was definitely a fair share of self-doubt in both of these arenas. In opening up the podcast to the hurdle moments on Wednesdays and the five-minute Fridays, both of those are me giving a lot of myself to my audience. And whereas when you are conducting an interview, it's really all about your guest, it is not like that on Wednesdays and Fridays. Uh, Of course, sometimes I do bring guests into the Wednesday hurdle moment series, which is more of an evergreen. Uh, kind of vibe where you can get tips and tricks to level up your life, whether that's on fitness or wellness or mental health or anything like that. And on 5-Minute Fridays for the pod, it's more of a a quick-hitting story and highlights and content picks from the week. So for me, like when I released both of those series, I was really, like I said, very nervous to give so much more of myself to my audience. And the same went hand-in-hand when I started releasing The Hurdle Sessions. I mean, the way that you can really connect with people, even remotely, is to be willing to be vulnerable with them. And especially with the newest offering on The Hurdle Sessions, this... Token workshop that I'm offering called Handling Hurdle Moments, which really focuses on how to show up to challenge and emerge uh, more positive and optimistic on the other side. That is a scary thing to talk to a group of people that you may not know at all and get open and not just transparent, but vulnerable about things in your life that haven't gone as you had hoped And for me to get to this place, I do it again because I continually go back to my mission of understanding that these stories, these things that I have to put into the world, they're going to help someone else somewhere feel less alone. And again, that's my mission. That's what I'm about. So it's certainly not easy at all. um, But doing them and in the execution and in the feedback, I have absolutely no doubt that it's exactly what I'm supposed to be doing.
0: I can tell just the way you talk about it. It really, it um, it just is such an energetic force that comes out of you when you're talking about this. It really is inspiring. One last question before we get going. I know it seems like, I shouldn't say I know, it seems like you are a very goal-oriented person. Uh, you're certainly achieving a lot of things, that's for sure. So do you have any short-term or long-term goals uh, from a professional and or running perspective?
1: Running perspective, easy to lay out. I'm running and gunning for that sub-six mile. I know it's in there. I know it's in there. I'm also gunning for um, a sub-715 5K, which should be like completely completely doable for me. But for some reason, I've been racing myself lately and my 5K and my 10K are like similar in times, which means that I've definitely got gas left in the tank for the 5K. So I uh, I definitely have some speed goals in mind. And and I mean, to bring it back to hurdle, it's fun because then I I seek out experts and content based on the things that I'm dealing with. So for instance, this week, uh, on hurdle moment, which, which launched earlier today, my conversation is with an endurance and mindset coach based out of New Jersey. His name's Sam Tooley. And Tooley is talking to me about how to figure out what your goal paces are. And that's like such a relevant question that so many people are looking for the answer for, and such a great conversation for me to bring to the feed. So for me, sub six minute mile, definitely on the radar. I know it's going to happen at some point. I kind of accomplished a a marathon goal that I never actually had last year, which was BQing um, at Chicago. So I ran that 328 and I don't really have a personal goal to to get anything less than that. It felt uh, serendipitous and wonderful when it happened and I'm super grateful for that experience. On a professional level, I mean, just to continue to grow this hurdle community. I mean, numbers are one thing, but I don't think that our goals should be really based on, on numbers necessarily. So my goal every day is just to wake up and continue to connect with my audience and to be able to put out work into the world that I'm proud of and that feels authentic to who it is that I am. And to, again, just continue on that mission to empower people to be their best selves and and move with intention and have some fun.
0: All right. So if people want to learn more about you, your writings, the podcast, the workshops, all of the above, where should they go?
1: Keep connected with me on the socials. I'm at Emily Abadi on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Also over email, you can always reach out to me. It's Emily at Hurdle.us. And if you want to listen to Hurdle, I'd love that. Head on into the iTunes store. I'm sure it's in the related podcasts to the to what you're listening to right now. And, and definitely uh, give the show a listen. I suggest, I know this, you will love my conversation with Nike's global run coach, Coach Bennett.
0: For sure. And shoot, you had Alison Felix on the podcast this week. Yeah, I mean, come on. on Monday. You guys, on Monday. You're, you're killing it. All right. Thank you so much, Emily. This has been an absolute pleasure. Of
1: course. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Emily, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really look forward to talking to you uh, about all of these things. And I feel like I was just scratching the surface as well. Uh, so again, thank you so much for coming on the show. Also, big ups to Previnex for sponsoring this and every episode of the Rambling Runner podcast. They do such great work, whether it's the multivitamin, the kids' vitamins, the support they're giving to so many communities across the world. Uh, Joint Health Plus, which I always use, uh, as well as Neurofy Plus, which is the meal replacement slash protein powder. Uh, that's a vegan protein powder that I use after every single run. Those guys are doing a great job. Go check them out, previnex.com and use code RUNNER15 at checkout to save 15% on your first order. Thank you so much for listening, and happy running.